persuasion is really just about demonstrating value. So really, it's just about teamwork. It's just one person's idea to start with. Welcome to Unleashed. I'm Colleen Pilar, a dog trainer fascinated by people. Dogs bring out the best in us. Your dog thinks you're awesome because you are kind, thoughtful, generous, playful. In each episode of Unleashed, I'll choose one behavior trait that dogs and people share and interview a fascinating person to talk about how that trait appears in dogs and in people. Then we'll explore ways that you can more fully embody the trait so that you can show up at work and at home as the amazing person your dog knows you to be. Are you ready to be unleashed? My guest today is Julie Holmes, an entrepreneur, sales leader, and speaker. And she's here to talk to us today about persuasion. She has an amazing dog, Echo, a nearly two-year-old Vizsla. And Julie uses persuasion in her work. And also, Echo uses persuasion in her relationship with Julie. So welcome, Julie. Thanks so much for being on Unleashed. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background. Okay, so my background is quite varied. Um, I actually started off originally as a communication instructor. So I used to teach uh, public speaking and other communication classes at the University of Nebraska at Omaha, and which is where I have my master's degree from. So I have a master's in communication and a bachelor's in speech. So persuasion and communication and how we interact with each other has always been fascinating. Mm -hmm. But I opted to go into the corporate world. And so I went into um, technology, into enterprise software. So for the last 20 years, I built, deployed, sold, marketed all kinds of enterprise software products for large enterprises. And then about a year ago, I left the States, moved my family to the United Kingdom, where I live now in London. And today, we um, I run my own business, uh, providing sales advisory services to organizations. I do keynote speaking on sales and marketing topics. And as you rightly pointed out, I'm an entrepreneur. I've just released my first official packaged product called Hey Mike. So very exciting stuff going on right now. Yeah, so many different things. What led you to move to England? Do you know what moved me to England was a couple of things. Um, first of all, one is that my partner, my husband is British, and it was his turn. Mm-hmm. So we've been in America for the last 16, 17 years. We decided it was his turn. But we've got two teenage kids, and uh, we had really fond memories of England. And we thought, what a great opportunity to yeah. move to England and kind of check out the world from a different perspective, which is what we've done. Absolutely. I could also add that England, if you're going to own a dog, is kind of the best place yes. in the world to be if you own a dog. Yes. It is very impressive. Yes. I am I'm well aware of the the English the the restrictions on coercive dog training are quite strict in the UK which is lovely I mean we should not be using any force based techniques because it is really about persuasion which is what we're talking about today that if i make you do something that's destroying our relationship and it's not necessarily getting the same level of behavior as if i persuade you that this is a great idea let's do this together so yeah. what kind of training have you been doing with echo 
Well, I have a background in all kinds of different dog training. So I think very similar to you, I have done obedience competitions and I've shown my dogs in confirmation many years ago and I've done rally and I've done agility and I've done, <laughs> I've done lots of different things. Um, you know, we've tried our hand at carting. We've tried, we've just done all kinds of things because I'm all about variety mm -hmm. rather than being really good at any one thing. I just love the variety of all of it. Yes. Um, and now I focus almost exclusively on trick training. So we do all kinds of tricks from skateboarding to getting things out of a refrigerator to playing the piano to, you know, weaving between the legs to, you know, Echo's forever trying and offering and often bringing me things to my office. Mm -hmm. I have a delivery service every morning that involves several <laughs> pairs of socks. Um, I often get empty toilet rolls. I mean, basically uh, 15 rubber bands, anything that's not nailed down ends up in my Perfect. office. Perfect. Yes. My dog used to do Very that. Good. We would call it the Elk Hound Express. My kids would be looking for something. I'm like, oh, that was delivered by Elk Hound Express to my desk. <laughs> and so whatever was missing was probably on my desk because as the dog would come rushing in, look what I found. <laughs> like, yeah, yes, exactly. you did. <laughs> yep. And I think that's a great, you know, that might even be a great first angle to talk about persuasion. Mm -hmm. You know, the dog, you know, particularly this one that I've got, Echo, and again, my my last dog as well, whose name was Seven, you know, they are by nature, they're retrievers. Mm -hmm. And so they're using their own built in skills, you know, and natural instincts, and they're connecting those with us and providing service. Yes. So I mean, right away, you've got kind of this natural built in system of relationship. Mm -hmm. So dog breeds, especially have, have been categorized and developed over decades and, and centuries, in many cases, to do something very specific. And in this case, you know, Vizlas, for those of you that aren't familiar with the breed, are a, a small pointer retriever. So they are a gun dog. They are intended to work with their people and to be very people focused. They're described as Velcro dogs. And she definitely yes. wears that mantle proudly. Yes. And they love to bring you things. And so that's their way of creating and bonding and building relationships is doing what they are good at. Mm -hmm. And I think people can learn a lot from that, too. Absolutely. And showing up with joy, like, here's what I've got. Here I yes. am. Here's what I've got for you. So yes. what would you say is the trick that Echo enjoys doing most? Playing the piano. Playing the piano. That's her favorite, huh? <laughs> she loves to play the piano. <laughs> you get out the piano and she, she's got her own little kid's piano <laughs> and she sits on it. And, uh, and you know, when you go to share this podcast, I will send you a video link so that you can include oh, please a link to Echo playing the piano. <laughs> oh, she does good. love it. That. She doesn't sing. She doesn't sing. I really need to figure out how to make her sing. But, you know, in this case, we just let her play. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Maybe you can sing for her. So, you know, you can accompany her when she plays. <laughs> Let's not go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so looking at the from persuasion, the idea of persuasion, we get into some sticky areas with persuasion sometimes because people consider persuasion to be manipulative and it doesn't need to be. It can be very open and sincere. Like this, I think, is a great idea and I'd love for you to agree with me. So what are your thoughts on that? I think that's absolutely true. I think persuasion is really just about demonstrating value and trying to 
illustrate in the best possible way that there's an opportunity for collaboration and joint work and joint effort where everybody benefits. So really, it's just about teamwork. It's just one person's idea to start with. Yes. That's a great way of of summing it up. That really is what persuasion is. So how do you use it in your work? Well, of course, I specialize in sales. Mm -hmm. So sales is, in many ways, all about persuasion. It's all about communicating value to our prospects and to our customers as well that we want to continue to work with and continue to sell with that there is value in our continued relationship. Mm -hmm. So with persuasion, I'm presenting that value and making a compelling case so that they will hear it, recognize the value, consider it, and agree that that value is sufficient reason for them to work with me or to use my products or to purchase my services or whatever it is that I'm asking them to do. That call to action. I have to make that call to action compelling enough And clear enough, because that's the other thing that we could talk about is clarity. Yes. But to make it compelling and clear enough that they can connect that up with, yes, that has value to me. Therefore, I will participate in your collaborative suggestion. So what parts of that do you think people struggle with most? I think people struggle with value more than anything. Because I think when, you know, certainly you see this a lot in sales or, you know, you'll see this with, um, with people that you work with, you know, they will talk about me. Mm -hmm. I'm great. I'm amazing. I have a a good friend of mine and a colleague who is a a business coach and she will talk about marketing as well. And and she'll say, you know, the best marketers, uh, we shouldn't say the best marketers, the worst marketers go out and they go, I'm amazing. I'm spectacular. I'm so smart. I know everything. But it's all about them. Mm -hmm. And to really be persuasive, you have to be connecting with people on their level, not yours. Right. They're not, they don't want to know how great you are. They want to know how great you're going to help them become. Yes. And so that's why people struggle with value because they focus on what they have to offer instead of what the other party needs or wants or aspires to. I think that's brilliant. Like really looking at it from that perspective of how great you're going to help them become. The idea of seeing the best in someone else and and building upon that, which of course dogs do all the time because they walk around thinking we're amazing. And we often come home thinking we're less than amazing. And the dog shows up and says, you are a genius. You are so great. And you could be even better if you'd throw this ball. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. They're very quick to offer ways (laughs) to show you how, uh, how you can add value. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's true. So it, it is an interesting thing that we do get stuck on with value from that perspective of, of really communicating without it being the phrase coming to mind is sales pitch, which isn't quite what I mean, but where you're saying it's sort of all about me and what I can do. It's, it really should be much more about you and how I could support your goals in, in this yeah. kind of situation. So I'm more, a much more nuanced persuasion in there. I think that you mentioned before about calls to actions being compelling and clear. Again, something dogs are geniuses at. We're very rarely going, what is it that you wish from me? Um, But I do think clarity is an interesting thing because in our human interactions, it's often not clear. 
it's not even close to clear that we aren't we are not sure what somebody wants from us and we start wondering and then holding back a little cuz we think well i don't i don't know i'm not sure what's going on here so if when in doubt i'll shut down that kind of piece so so the idea of having things being compelling and clear after having demonstrated value all those pieces fit together so beautifully to create yeah. trust you know that yeah. if if we feel safe, you know, we demonstrated value and the, and the call to action is clear. What do you do? And it's going to be supportive of you. That really creates this whole trust piece, which is a very important a, part of persuasion, I think. It is. And I think to your point, too, when there isn't clarity about what's needed or wanted, then a couple of things can happen. So in the absence of clarity, well, one, we don't deliver the right thing. You know, we're, we're guessing. And Mm -hmm. so we try to give one behavior or we try to answer one question when in fact that wasn't what was needed at all. Mm -hmm. And it actually ends up eroding the relationship because you've got one person saying, I can't believe that they didn't give me what I needed. Yep. And on the flip side of that, you're going, I can't believe that I gave them what I thought they needed and that's not what they wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, they're so ungrateful. You know, they're so dumb. They don't get it. They're so ungrateful. And it's all just because of a lack of clarity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's when people describe their dogs as stubborn too. lack of clarity. Yeah. Yes. Almost yes, they're not always because the dog is like, I would do it if I knew what it was. <laughs> and yeah. the person is like, I told him like, eh, not in a way that was clear, not in something that this animal was understanding. So it does well, erode relationships. Th- that's an excellent point, Colleen, because that clarity is in the eyes of the beholder. Yes. You know, it's, it's, you know, I can't, even though I think I'm being clear, mm-hmm. if the recipient doesn't understand, then I wasn't being clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a failed communication effort. So to your point, you're absolutely right that clarity has to be considered from the other person's perspective. We can never argue that we were clear and they should have understood. It's up to them to decide what clear sounded like. And we have to keep trying and keep reiterating and keep adjusting our style and our communication and our words in a way that connects with them. That's why there's so much A-B testing out in the world. That's why salespeople are constantly tweaking and adjusting their messages because they might, you know, if I was to say, you should buy this thing because it's going to make you a millionaire Mm -hmm. and you go, yeah, but I don't really get that or I don't really believe that, then that's my problem. I've got to address that issue I can't say, well, you just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. That's not the way to, to work with people. It's not the way to work with dogs. It's, you know, we have to just keep trying until we find that synergy where we can work together effectively. Yeah. And yet we so often do say I was clear and they're stupid and they're, people are <laughs> people are dumb and I don't know why they can't do this because we get hung up on to, to our mind it was clear. And so often with that, it's that we have filled in information that's missing. We know it. Yes. So we we can go from step one to step two because we can see what's in between them. And they think we went from step one to step 20, which is probably yeah. true, you know, but we're, we're like, oh, you do, you do this after that. And there's this whole framework of information that the other person is missing and we're too close to it to see, you know, we're like, everybody knows that. That's so clear. Yeah. Well, there's a great analogy that I give, and this is actually more about communication, really, even than sales specifically. But I talk to people about stories mm-hmm. and that when we meet a person, 
we only know one sentence of their story. Yes. Like that's all we're getting a glimpse in is one sentence. If we're lucky, we might get a paragraph, mm-hmm. but we have no idea what happened to them on the page before or on the chapter before or what the start of their story looked like. And we don't know what the rest of their story is going to be like. And they don't know ours either. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you know, we assume that they have participated in our story and they've read our book, but they haven't. Right. So they're just seeing one paragraph and one page and one sentence of our story as well. And if we can just remember that everybody is looking at each other with just this really limited perspective, mm-hmm. then it gives us all a lot more tolerance and a lot more scope to work together effectively because we go in recognizing our own ignorance. Yes. And our own lack of knowledge. I love the analogy of it as a story. You know, the idea of when we're envisioning an entire book and you're getting maybe a sentence or a paragraph, there's a whole lot missing. And that's so visual. We can understand that concept as opposed to in theory where we say like, well, you're just having this one moment with this person and what you see is what you get. We often think what we see is all all of it, you know. That's We're like, right. oh, yeah, I, I know all of this stuff about this person because I had one 20-minute interaction with them. Not at all. So I love that way of looking at it, the idea of a story and just a sliver of a story, mm. which could be really frustrating because stories suck you in, you know. You're like, there's so much more I want to know, and yet I'm only getting one sentence or one paragraph. So well, it's a great challenge, isn't it? Yes. It's a great challenge to learn somebody else's story. Yes. It is a great challenge. And and very exciting intellectually, I think, for, for most of us, because we are wired for story. We do love mm. story. So from the perspective of persuasion, what do you think are some of the things that that if we want to persuade someone, we need to really... I mean, I know you already said about, you know, the demonstrating of the value, but the idea of what what are our first steps? What do we need to think about before we even attempt to persuade someone? Well, we have to have goodwill, you know, and some people would describe this as trust. Mm-hmm. So you have to have goodwill or you have to have the solid foundations of a relationship before you can persuade somebody. If they don't trust you, you are never going to be able to persuade them to do anything. And you're on incredibly rocky foundation. So, you know, the best way to start is to start actually by giving. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we see that in marketing and sales today. And we see that with dogs. You know, we don't start off asking for the most difficult behavior and holding out rewards until they deliver that. You know, when I start training my dog, I'm sitting there with a clicker and a bag of food. And all Mm -hmm. they have to do is hear a sound and get a treat. It doesn't get any better than that. But what I'm doing is I am building all that goodwill and I'm building trust where the dog goes, wow, I don't know, but hanging out with you is awesome. (laughs) This is fabulous. And then eventually I start to persuade them to do more. But it's exactly the same in work. Mm -hmm. So if we're thinking about asking our employees to do something for us, we need them to work late or we want them to work extra hard on a project or we want them to try out a new skill or invest in our client or we want a customer to buy something from us. We have to start by building a good, strong foundation relationship. And a lot of that happens today through content marketing. And that's how we start in the digital age of building that relationship with clients and prospects. 
we give them great content. We share excellent information and knowledge with them. And they develop a level of goodwill and trust with us Mm -hmm. that we can then call upon later on when it comes time for us to go, ah, now let me show you if you take this step, here's what's going to happen. So that's the very first thing is a foundation of goodwill and trust. Yes, I think that sounds great. And I I love the tying it back to the dogs too, because we do want to start with this little tiny increments of that it is just complete giving in the beginning and then little requests as we build, you know, that we're just sort of helping the dog figure out what's going on. And the same thing with people that we do need to maintain that trust and goodwill the whole time. And if you dive in and ask for too much and raise your criteria too fast, you startle everyone and they back off and freeze up. Mm -hmm. So I think the solid foundation of goodwill is is absolutely a primary element. And I I think that that's one of the things, again, that that we struggle with with people more often than we do with dogs. That when we when we meet a dog, we often come into into the relationship to sort of accepting, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm going to like you, you're going to like me, and in most cases that all works out fine. <laughs> and then with people, we often have a little bit more wariness and we need to be more deliberate and conscious about building that goodwill and, and saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to like you. You're going to like yeah. me. It's all going to be fine. It's all going to be good. You know, and we can't control the other one's response. We can't control another dog's response. We can't control another person's response. But what we put out matters very, very much in what we get back. At least I Absolutely. think so. Yeah, for sure. I think that's completely true because certainly when you think about goodwill and building trust and building rapport, you have to give to get. Mm-hmm. I cannot come into a relationship skeptical and judgmental and expect the other person to embrace me and to be giving and forgiving um, if, if I'm not willing to do the same for them. So you, you've got it. You've hit it right on the head there. Yeah. So. What other thoughts do you have about the subject of persuasion? Well, I think, you know, when we talk about how do we persuade, you know, I talk about demonstrating value. Another good way to describe that is the idea of incentivizing. Mm-hmm. You know, there is this act of, of what's in it for me. You know, ultimately, you know, we and that what's in it for me can be quite varied. But if we're not clear um, about kind of, we talk about it from a persuasion perspective or from even a negotiation perspective. We talk about it as a next best alternative. So if you don't do this thing, what's your other options? So if I'm trying to introduce you to a product or I want you to hire me as a speaker or whatever it might be, one of the activities that I have to engage in is to sit down and go, okay, well, If they don't choose me, what are their other options and what will that look like for them? Mm -hmm. Because that's going to help me to formulate how I can incentivize them and how I can encourage them to get to where they want to go. So if we tie that back into dog training, for example, you know, we incentivize our dogs with treats and rewards. You know, I can't just say, look, if it's not too much trouble, (laughs) you know, I'd really appreciate it if you could go ahead and sit down and play that piano for me. Mm -hmm. You know, they have no idea what we're asking from them. We're lacking clarity. Even if they have all the trust in the world, they still are like, I don't know. Why would I do that again? Yes. I have no idea why I would do that again. And it's the same with people. You know, we have to talk about that, that value to them. That's their incentive. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to sell more. You're going to get more customers. You're going to be able to keep your customers longer. You're going to generate more ROI. 
you're going to have better lifetime value with your customers. So these are the incentives that are just like little pieces of cheese and hot dog that we serve up to our dogs. These are the incentives that motivate them and that get them salivating so that they kind of go, oh, that does sound good. Oh, yeah, I'd like to have more lifetime value, please. I'll play the piano. So that's exactly the relationship that we're building. So we have to think about those incentives. How do we sweeten Mm -hmm. that relationship and encourage them to be receptive to the message? Yeah, I think that's a great description of it. And the idea of once we've incentivized this learning or change, a lot of these behaviors become sort of self-reinforcing. You've increased your sales. That's pretty exciting. I'm going to keep doing what I've done. So yay. Mm-hmm. So we probably don't have to have as many hot dogs and cheese as we continue yeah. along the path because we've demonstrated that that it will be effective, that these behaviors yeah. become self-reinforcing on their own. Doing it has its own value. Once it's comfortable and fluid and familiar and we know what to do when we really understand the behavior as opposed to when it's in that early learning experience where we're kind of stuck. I'm like, wait, what, what? So I think there's there's another point as well that's worth making around persuasion and that's loyalty. mm -hmm. So after a while, you know, we're able to, to kind of cash in on loyalty as an incentive and as part of our relationship. So we've taken trust past where we have a basic level of trust to the point now where we have loyalty, which is kind of this assumed or ingrained trust. Mm-hmm. And that loyalty is great. We can skip a, a lot of the steps in persuasion with loyalty. I don't have to incentivize you quite so much. I don't have to demonstrate the value quite so much. You're going to take my word for it. I don't have to prove it. But there's also a double-edged sword to loyalty and that we have to be careful not to tread too heavily on it. You know, our dogs will let us get away with a lot, but even at a certain point, if we aren't treating them fairly and we're taking advantage of that loyalty, they will stop working for us. Yes. And that, by the way, is exactly what happens to our customers. Absolutely. So when we stop treating our customers like they're valued, we just assume they're going to keep paying us. We just assume they're going to keep referring us. We just assume they're going to keep, you know, renewing with us, then what happens? The customer goes, yeah, I don't, this isn't really quite as rewarding for me as it once was. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go see if I can find a more rewarding relationship. And off they go. And we're none the wiser as to why they've left. Yes. But they've left because we have abused that loyalty. I think that's a very good point. So I think this has been a really interesting discussion from the perspective of all of the parts that go into persuasion, and they all do come back to ethics. You know, mm. it, it does come down to being being right inside yourself before you mm-hmm. start working on anyone else's behavior and trying to convince anyone else to do anything, whether human or canine. <laughs> <laughs> You ready for my favorite question, which is if Echo could talk, how would she describe you? Oh, that is a good question. Sometimes I like to have these questions in advance so I can think about them. What would Echo say about me? I think Echo would say about me that I am the giver of all good things. Is that not the most wonderful description to have of oneself? (laughs) The (laughs) giver of all good things. And I think that that is what we would like for our customers to think of us too, isn't it? I think so. 
That is a perfect description. So thanks so much for talking to me about all of this. How can listeners reach you and learn more about what you do? Well, they can learn more about my business at www.julieholmes.com. And that's J-U-L-I-E-H-O-L-M-E-S.com. So they can learn about my business that way. And then I'll uh, I'll send you a couple of links so that you can uh, see my dogs in action. Absolutely. We look forward to that. And I will put all of that up in the show notes because people will definitely want to see Echo play the piano and see a photo of that. So thanks so much for coming on Unleashed today. I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. It's been a great opportunity to talk about two of my favorite subjects, sales and dogs. I know. It's so fun. Dogs relate to everything. I'm convinced of it. <laughs> so what do you think? Are you ready to be unleashed? Ready to open up and fully become the amazing person your dog knows you to be? Subscribe to Unleashed. And please visit ColleenPilar.com slash iTunes to leave a review. It helps new listeners find us. And my dog gets an extra treat for each new review. Say thank you, Edzo. 